The Supreme Court heard argument in an Arizona voting rights case this week. The issue was whether a recent change in voting laws would impact one party over the other. Yeah, I am thinking a Captain Obvious smackdown would have been in order. I mean, here's a point you might want to remember. If the voting rules are changed by one political party, it's not to help their opponents. All right, also, a judge signed a warrant so the police could get the black box out of Tiger Woods' luxury Hyundai SUV. Now, this shocked me. I mean, Hyundai has a luxury SUV? And cancel culture is back in the news. My guest, Christopher Marone, and I will unpack these legal issues, plus give our opinion on whether Baker Mayfield really saw a UFO. All in this week's debriefing of the law. Well, this week's guest is a good friend of mine, uh, Christopher Marone. Christopher, you are uh, the director. I, I know you know what you are, but for our listeners, <laughs> you are the director of employer relations for the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law. I have learned that is the problem. It's College of Law. Uh, college not, of Law. Not university, not school, College of Law. I have no idea what college means now that I'm trying to distinguish that. But nonetheless, you apparently help lawyers get jobs since you actually are the director of employer relations. Hey, Christopher, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. It's glad uh, glad to be back here. I do enjoy our banter every once in a while. It makes makes for an interesting interesting morning. Morning. That is for sure. Now, I, I have to just start off by saying, have you thought about changing your last name? Every probably three or four days. Okay. Because, you know, I'm from it Kansas really, City. Yeah. I see that name, and I see Christopher Mahomes. And it, it's so close. <laughs> is it It not, really is. Yeah. There. It's almost copyright infringement at the end of the day. <laughs> I, do, I do worry. You know, we're out in public. Like sometimes, you know, I'm out playing at the Turkey Bowl and people think I'm Patrick. It really, really is. You know, it's it's, it's a two edged sword, right? I get all the uh, acclaim for being a, a Super Bowl quarterback <laughs> and then I perform and I, I look like I'm a, you know, not a Super Bowl quarterback. They, they look at your name, think there's some relation. Then they look at you and go, OK, well, maybe. Well, nonetheless, um, hey, I get the same thing. People look at my name and they think. I'm going to take their offering because uh, they see Joel Osteen and not Joel Oster. But, um, hey, you know, right. it, it, all, it all works well. Uh, how is life out there? And you are right now you are in, uh, is it Phoenix, Arizona or Scottsdale? Where, where are you at? Lo where are you located physically? I'm physically downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. So I'm, a, I'm literally a stone's throw from the federal court, from the Arizona Supreme Court. Um, ASU has a lovely campus right here downtown that's, very nice and beautiful and in the middle of construction like we always are. So and if, you, if you hear some jackhammering, I do apologize. But right, that's right. just life hey, life at the campus. You know what, though? That actually would make this podcast even more interesting, get some authentic, real news there. I actually interviewed right. someone. I don't remember who, what her name was. I was interviewing her on the podcast, and in the middle of the podcast, the fire alarm went on. No, it was actually a regular host, uh, Mackenzie Smith, and the fire alarm went on, and she was stuck there going, what do I do? Because, you know, <laughs> 99 times out of 100, a fire alarm goes off, and you're assuming it's fake, right? Someone pulled right. it. It's a, it's not a real fire. Uh, and, and nonetheless, um, so she was debating, should I go? Should I stay? And so we just said, you know what? Go ahead and go, but leave your phone on so we can hear the, the burning, the building burned down. But Hey, that was a real, uh, that was interesting development to have. Well, yeah. we are, we are here to debrief the law. You're a lawyer. Is, is, that's mm -hmm. right. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a, yep. a, a lawyer there in Arizona. Yes, I paid, I, I've paid my dues. I'm actually a lawyer in California, uh, that just happens to work in Arizona. Hey. That's good. We have some California cases to talk about uh, today. But first of all, we're going to start yeah. off with an Arizona case, and that's why I, I thought about bringing you on this week. is the Arizona voting rules case. Uh, it was a case the Supreme Court heard argument on this week, and whenever you're dealing with voting laws, uh, it gets people up, uh, you know, gets, gets their antenna up. People are concerned about the, the voting rules. And yeah, I know yeah. they, they had some argument there this week at the Supreme Court. Well, let's just break down what the, was at issue in this case. And so there were two different issues involved. Right. The first one was Arizona 
I believe, recently changed their, their voting laws. And one way they changed it was to say that a ball- ballots that were cast in the wrong precinct would be thrown out completely. Even th- So if you, you, you live in a precinct, and if you go to the wrong precinct to vote, they throw out your entire ballot, even those votes that would be statewide and not just in that precinct. Uh, right. That, that was the one uh, law. The second yep. law that they passed recently was this prohibition on harvesting ballots. In other words, you can't go around town, collect everyone's ballots, and then take them over and drop them off at the voting ba- uh, booth. That uh, So right. it, it allow outlaws uh, ballot harvesting and um, uh, and p- casting ballots in, in the wrong precinct. So were you aware of these this change in law? I mean, you live there in Arizona. Was this news yeah. to you? Well, kind of, well, because it passed in 2016. So it's not super, it's in that weird five-year marker, right? We've had two presidentials. Okay. Uh, we've had, we had two gubernatorial elections since these rules have come into place. Um, so it's not that it's, it's a little jarring because coming from California where I was born and raised and have, have voted most of my entire life until 2016, ballot harvesting is completely uh, legal there. And, um, there's a little more scrutiny under the same precinct idea of if you vote in the wrong precinct, they'll throw away your local stuff, right? You can't, I can't go over to your city council district and vote right. for you when I should be voting for mine, but they would still keep the stuff that, you know, president senators, if it's the same Congress member or, you know, stuff like that, they would go down with a little more scrutiny to see what you couldn't vote for and what you could vote for. And in an idea of good faith, say, we're not going to count your local guys because you voted for the wrong local people. And that could be fraud. But your intent was that you wanted to vote for these statewide and national offices. And then they would compare it against if you then went to your correct precinct and voted. Right. So we don't want the duplicate voting going on. Right. We don't want the Chicago style uh, vote early, vote often and in multiple districts. That's (laughs) not that's. Or the canvassing of the cemetery that's also frowned upon outside of Chicago right. for most places, right? right? Outside outside of Chicago and, and some parts of Florida because we don't know, right? Florida, it could be a graveyard. It could be an old folks home. We really just don't, you don't know. know what's going on yet. Yeah, so, you know, we err so, on the side of caution there. Right. Well, the, um, the interesting thing about this storyline from when I got when I started researching this case is this. This was this was recently enacted. We're not talking like this was yeah. a law that was passed 200 years ago or I don't know whatever. No. So you you have to recognize the elephant in the room. Lo- right, voting made the changes to affect these specific elections. Right. right. People don't pass something, some you know, rule when it comes to voting without the mm-hmm. end game in mind, right? Is how, how will this impact the next election? For our party, surely that is what is driving these changes. But on the flip side, they seem like okay, decent, uh, you know, laws on their face. I don't see what's wrong with, um, you know, hey, if you vote in the wrong precinct, we're going to throw out the entire ballot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in the wrong place. I mean, on its face, that that seems okay. I definitely right. don't like the idea of ballot harvesting. Just I, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe I've read too much on Fox News, but nonetheless. <laughs> What what's the problem then with these two provisions? So we'll take them one at a time, right? So the problem with ballot harvesting in both ways, right? It allows for some ability of fraud, but we're also and I believe it was um it was either Alito or Thomas who hit on this is that Arizona is a very rural state. You know, we have Thomas did. Thomas did, right? You can um you could count that there's probably and this is even a stretch three metro areas. Right. We have Phoenix, Phoenix metro area. We have Tucson, which is down south. And then we have Flagstaff, which is up north. But I mean, Phoenix is the metro area. Phoenix has, you know, the bulk of the population. Maricopa County is the fifth largest county in the U.S., something to that effect. But the rest of the state is super rural. And part of the problem with this idea of anti-ballot harvesting is, yeah, it works great for. Maricopa County and for Phoenix, Tucson and Flagstaff, but you've got Indian reservations. You've got incredibly small towns that they may only have one ballot drop-off spot. And that ballot drop-off spot may be 90 to a hundred miles away from where a person lives. 
But here's a problem that I have with ballot harvesting. It's the chain of command. I mean, who's to say that they're not going to go to locations that they know are going to be more favorable? So they're going to go and collect ballots from this particular area of town. And if they do happen to go by the the area of town from the other party, they might lose those votes in in transit. There's a chain of command issue. And so the Chief Justice John Roberts was even pointed out that in 2005, There is a report on federal election reform. This commission was led by former President Jimmy Carter, Jimmy, yep. Democrat, and former yep. Secretary of State James Baker, who was on the Republican side. And right. this commission said that absentee ballots are the largest source of potential voter fraud. And they recommended that the practice of allowing candidates or party workers to pick up and deliver absentee ballots should be eliminated. So it, that seems viable. So how do we analyze this issue? Well, I think that there's a couple things to unpack. Yes, absentee ballots and ballot harvesting is the most likely and easiest form of way to do voter fraud. But you have to look at the amount of voter fraud also that we've seen in elections, which is less than a percent. It all depends on who you're talking to and if they've drunk in uh, Trump's Kool-Aid. Right. Also true. If they partake in Trump's Kool-Aid. I'm in Arizona, man. That's right. Yeah. Right. We got Kelly Ward, who's who's a couple sandwiches short of a, a full meal. All right. Um, but also, I think there's a difference between saying party individuals, or as I like to call them, party hacks, right, collecting ballots, and having community groups or organiz like you. You don't have to throw out all of ballot harvesting when if you just you know, drilled down and figured out a system that would work, whether that is setting up, you know, having the recorder's office set up more drop boxes, or if it's, uh, you know, figuring out a way to get to these more rural areas of Arizona, it just, it, it does something that Arizona hates to do. And that's called spending money. Right, right, right. And if you want to invest in a voter program that is devoid of as much fraud as humanly possible, you have to invest money into practices that could help that out. If you want to ban ballot harvesting, fantastic. How can we still allow every single person the ability, not just the right, you have the right to vote, but the ability to cast that ballot? Because you could, you know, we, we've talked about undermining the mail system. We've talked about, you know, um, no ballot harvesting. We've talked about polling locations being moved about in the state of Arizona. So what can we be doing if, and, and I'm not opposed to the idea of saying ballot harvesting is a bad idea. What I'm opposed to doing is eliminating people's ability to cast their ballot. Well, let's analyze that. Uh, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, uh, it's a federal right. law that prohibits racial discrimination with mm-hmm. voting laws. And, and so right. we know you can't do that. If these laws discriminate based upon race, we would throw them out. But the problem is, in reality... Most laws don't say, "Hey, our purpose here is to discriminate based upon race." I mean, yeah, law, never. Lawgivers are a little, little smarter than that. At least most of them are a little bit smarter than that. So you got to kind of yeah. go one step beyond to determine: Well, is this change in voting regulations was it meant to discriminate based upon race? And what if a change in voting requirements? while serving a valid purpose, nonetheless has a disparate impact on a certain race of people. Is that okay? What if that was unintentional? So all these different things play into it. How will how should the court analyze that issue? Well, since voting is our most, I would, I would argue that voting is our most basic fundamental right. It's what it's what America was founded on, this idea that all of us have a representative government and that we're able to do so by casting our votes. It also, in my opinion, eliminated this idea that we need to violently overthrow a government if they're not doing what they should be doing. Right. Right. We have, we have the right to overthrow our government peaceably every two years. I like and that. That's by, and that's just by casting our vote. Right. So I think it, it serves – I think voting serves uh, an amazing purpose of not only allowing me my free speech rights, my freedom of expression rights, my freedom of association rights, but it allows me to redress my government. It allow, it, it's the vehicle that allows me to access a lot of my other rights in a way that can make lasting change. 
So at that same yep. time, if the voting procedures are manipulated by one party for fraud, and I, I'm right. almost going to say a legal kind of fraud. Uh, you know, in other words, we mm-hmm. are going to change. Uh, we, we are going to go out there and um, uh, you know change the voting rules in a certain way to benefit one side. The, right. That might unfairly impact the election, uh, and so. Um, Which is what was argued, right? That's what, what was it? Um, I can't, why can't I think of his name right now? Um, um, Carvin. That's what Carvin argued, right? That politics is a zero-sum game. So if you get extra votes through um, the illegal interpretation of Section 2, then that disenfranchises either side. And I know that he was speaking towards, you know, that the Democrats would get more votes this way than the Republicans get. Right, right. Um, but it's that idea, right, that if, if you allow illegal voting, if you allow legal fraudulent voting, you're disenfranchising the actual majority, which is what we're trying to get here. What does the majority of the people want? Now, I, I you, you kind of you mentioned it, but you glossed over it kind of quickly. So I want to just focus on because I thought that was a very fascinating exchange at the Supreme Court. I want to make sure our listeners catch that. So uh, Amy oh, yeah. Coney Barrett. Uh, asked a question for Carvin, who was the lawyer uh, representing the Arizona Republican Party, and, and so right. she asked him, "Why do you? Why does your client even care about keeping these laws on the books?" Seems like it's a fair question. Right. You know, sometimes lawyers they just kind of ignore the elephant. This guy did not they ignore really the elephant. Do. He did not <laughs> he addressed the elephant. He took it head on. Yes, head on. I got yeah. And this is what he said. He said, well, uh, you know, the um, he said this Ninth Circuit ruling, which overthrew these laws, puts us, yeah. the Republican Party, at a competitive disadvantage relative to Democrats. He said politics is a zero-sum game, and every extra vote they get through unlawful interpretation of Section 2 hurts us. It's the difference between winning an election 50 to 49 and losing. And so... Yeah, I mean, he just, that was a very frank, honest answer. It's like, look, we want to win the elections. This law will help us win elections. Right, which always throws me for a loop because, you know, and early on in my career, I worked in politics. I did a lot of work with the Democratic Party early on in my life, uh, before law school and during law school. Um, the idea is that laws, no laws should be equal for everyone to be able to cast their vote, have the ability to cast their vote. You got to hustle. If you want to win elections, you got to win hearts and minds. Right. It isn't, you shouldn't have laws that level the playing field of how people view different political parties. If you look at Arizona since the presidential election, something like 80,000 Republicans have changed their voting status to independents or Democrats or libertarians down the line. Whereas the rest of the parties are only seeing like maybe two to three, four or 5,000 change. You're seeing people like flock away from the Republican party in Arizona and attribute it to what you might, but it's something like this where it's, you know, you want to use the law to benefit your party without having to actually go out there and work for it. That is, uh, I do agree that, um, any change in the laws, the by the, especially when it comes to voting and, and elections, unless it right. really truly is a bipartisan effort, it's designed right. to get votes for your party. And this guy just said it's a zero sum game. And so, yeah, this might mean we win that next election instead of losing it. That's why this law was changed. But that really is, is going to become that is the issue for the court. How do you analyze changes in these voting laws when you realize that, yeah, it's a zero-sum game. The purpose here was right. to impact the next election. That's every single change to every voting every law time. out there. We, we, we get that. Right. So how does the court analyze that issue? Well, a lot of different tests have been thrown out there. Uh, but nonetheless, that, that's, that's an open question for the court. A decision is right. probably expected next June. Now, Chris, most legal experts are saying, based upon the oral argument, that these two provisions are not going anywhere. The the court is going to reverse the Ninth Circuit and uphold these two provisions. Would you agree with that, that that's what the experts at least are predicting? Oh, 100%. And I think that um, I don't feel that the the Democratic Party um, made a clear enough argument, because Roberts in the past has, has kind of swayed a little bit, whether it's voting with the conservative bloc or with the liberal bloc. I don't think the argument was made with listening through it through OEA or reading some of the stories. They just didn't get it. They didn't, they didn't articulate it well enough to, to, to make, to show that attenuation 
to the point where these voting laws disproportionately affect, you know, people of, um, you know, lower socioeconomic class or race. Um, I, I just didn't feel the argument was made there clear enough for anyone to, to who is at least teetering, right. be able to teeter on the side of saying, yeah, this really disproportion, disproportionately affects people of race. Um, so I think that it's going to be kept in place, and I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to roll through. And whoever the next Secretary of State is here in Arizona, whether that is Katie Hobbs, who, who, um, who keeps her position or not, but I think they're going to have a tough time trying to figure out what to do when this case comes down, because currently she's ignoring the precinct part, right. okay. um, but abiding by the ballot harvesting. I got to tell you, and it, it's Second. very hard to follow the Supreme Court and find some consistency. I'm thinking of a case that was right. last year. They dealt with the census question, and the question was asked, or, or mm-hmm. Trump wanted to put on the, the census questionnaire, you know, how many um, citizens legal? are in this yeah. household, right? And it seems like a very fair question to ask. I can't even imagine why someone would object to asking that question on a census, but it came out that the reason why they made that change, uh, I forget how they found it out, but it was, it was definitely it was, it was some kind of smoking gun email or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the reason why is they wanted to suppress the response by the opposite party, and so it would benefit the Republicans. And since that came out, that really, I think, convinced robbers to say, well, then this shouldn't go on the census. If that really is your purpose, I I understand that. But then here in this situation, how are we not dealing with the exact same thing? A valid change in the voting law, but Mm -hmm. the purpose is to impact the election. So how is this any different than the census case? I think... And, and maybe one of two ways. Um, one, it didn't have a disproportionate effect, right? Biden still won Arizona. Okay. So if, if, the, if the purpose was to suppress Democratic voters, right, elephant in the room, purpose is to, to, to make sure Democrats don't get elected in Arizona, it didn't work, right? The, the Biden still won Arizona by a margin. We have uh, Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema, who both are allegedly Democratic senators, um, that are both in the land. So the voting, the voting laws did not have the national effect of, of what the concern is about them, that somehow it would suppress the votes. So that way, um, Trump would have won in Arizona that, that obviously didn't happen. And so I think that's where it differs from the census question of voter suppression. If, if they're both about voter suppression based on race, right. then, it just didn't work, right? They put in the law. It came through. Biden won, and Arizona, and and it, it was the way that Biden won, right? Biden won. Mark Kelly won. But then we kept the same structure throughout the rest of the Arizona government. We still have a Republican-controlled legislature. We still have um, Republican-controlled boards of supervisors and city councils. So it was a very clear that Arizona wanted Joe Biden, and we wanted Andy Biggs. Like there was the right, there right. was the the. The balance there. So I think that's different from the census because the census was specifically set up to suppress. The idea was to 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 make sure that we didn't count all people who are in the area so that way we could redraw congressional districts. This law, though, could be argued was set up to suppress. It was also argued to set up to stop fraud. The census okay. test wasn't argued to set up to stop fraud. The census test was argued or the census test was essentially put out there to suppress votes. There is some sort of actual state interest in stopping fraud at elections. See, Christopher, you brought up a great point there. That's a great uh, distinguishing thing. So when you are trying to defend these laws, do you have any real valid reason why why you are pursuing it? And in the census question, maybe it was like, no, we don't buy this, that you're asking that question for some kind of valid purpose. The only purpose here right. is to is to suppress the response. That is the only thing on the table. Even though it seems right. like it's a and valid the, question, not, not offensive, it's still it's like, no, you're doing this to suppress right. the response. Well, and what's the point of the census? The point of the census is to count how many people are in America. That's the point of the census, not to count how many citizens, not, and, and maybe the census question would have gone through where it would have said, how many citizens live in the house? How many people live in the house? Right. Right. We could have, there could have been some, but then that could have been brought up. Well, now you're going to send ice out to these houses that have responded that they have four citizens and eight people. Right. 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 Um, but the, the point, the U S census is just to count how many physical bodies are in 
the United States. Just to get a number count, just to know what our population of people there, whether they're here un- undocumented or not, we just need to know how many people are physically living here. Well, that kind of begs the question, though. I do think it is valid to find out how many citizens are, are in the household as well. Oh. I, I think that's a valid right. question or thing to find out. But I, I do think the distinguishing thing here, as you pointed out, was it pretty well was established in that case they didn't even care about that angle. That was total pretext. No, and the court does not right. like it when you show up to the court with pretext and, and you're right. lying to the court. Whereas here, it really was to suppress fraud. And maybe the thought was one side was engaging in more fraud than the other, or, or maybe it's both. We just don't like fraud no matter how it comes out. And so right. I, I do think that was uh, that's a good point. All right, let's uh, move on next. We got a lot of uh, cases I want to unpack. And this next one really has my interest. And I, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this question. You might just share with me in our confusion as to what happened here. I'm talking about Tiger Woods. Are you, are you, I li- assume you live in Arizona, so you must be a golf fan. Oh, of course. We just, did, we just had the uh, Waste Management Open maybe three weeks ago. It was uh, enjoyable to watch from my home where I was not allowed to go to the Waste management open this year but it was good to still watch and have oh i want to I, I love playing golf uh, I, I don't my enthusiasm oh, far exceeds my abilities but i am a huge tiger woods fan so i assume you you, you obviously you've heard about the accident where there's a one car yeah. accident driving there in los angeles um the i think the road made a bend and his car went straight hit the median rolled over several times they had to get yeah. the jaws of life to take him out now the first thing that kind of caught my attention about this story was that um, he was driving a Hyundai. Did, oh, Tiger Woods <laughs> driving a, a Hyundai? I, I, did that shock you? Well, he could buy any I, car he wants to. Right. Also true. But I, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a little shocked it was a Hyundai, but then I keep remembering that Kanye West song about winning the Super Bowl and driving off in a Hyundai. All right. You know yeah, what? I'm going to so, check them out. I, I drive Hondas, it, and so I've always viewed mm-hmm. Hondas as some kind of off-brand, like off-brand cereal, Ooh. an off-brand Honda, but, you know, a Tiger Woods is Slow driving down. <laughs> Slow down. Right. I, I I spent a summer lobbying for Hyundai, and they are they are quite the fine, excellent machines. Really? And, and if Honda is listening today, I would love to give you props <laughs> and or be a spokesperson for your product because I love them. And that well-spoken by someone who is an employer. You, you deal with employers yep. all the time, so you don't want to burn bridges. So very, very astute there. I got to give That's you right. accolades right. for that. Well-performanced <laughs> machines, all uh, of them. So now, speaking of well-performanced machines, the, the police recently said, we want to get that black box that is in Tiger Woods' car. Now, that's yeah. surprised me on a lot of different uh, levels. First of all, do they have black boxes in cars? I knew they were in airplanes, but are they in cars now? Do you have any idea on this? Did this this surprise you? No, not as much because with all the built-in navigations, OnStar, things to that effect, there has to be an onboard CPU that holds this information. It doesn't automatically transmit to the cloud. So what they'd be looking for is, and in these newer Hondas, which again are a very well-performing machine of (laughs) absolute wonderful... And that's my last time for that. Um, but but in these these newer model Hondas and these newer model cars, they have the navigation. I don't think this is one of the, the cars that have like the self-driving units like Tesla has, okay. which records all of your information and has it stored um, on the cloud and within the, the little black box in there. But they do. They have a they have a CPU within the car that helps generate. It would be able to tell like what his speed was, whether he was driving erratically, movement of the car. Wow. Um, and and it would be able to kind of give investigators a, a picture, maybe not uh, maybe not substantial or clear and convincing, but they could understand like, oh, well, he was fluctuating speeds between, you know, 30. Like, you know, when you're driving on the highway, you're going between 65 and 70. So you might be 65 for a while or 68 right. or 72. Right. So that's a normal fluctuation. But if Tiger's jumping from like 35 to 85 and back to 45 and back to 65, Right, they're going to see that the 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 trend in the engine to see maybe he was driving erratically. What was going on? How would you know building this case of what actually happened? Since Tiger Woods is doing the absolute best thing possible, and he's invoking his right to remain silent and waiting for his lawyer to speak. So uh, on that, before, before we get there, uh, so I drive a 2018 yeah. Honda CRV. 
Beautiful car. Uh, it is a really great car. I, I say I drive it, I bought it for my wife, but nonetheless, I, I pretty much drive it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Of course. Does it have a Welcome black box? It, does it have all the navigation bells and whistles, no. top of the line? No. So probably probably not. Okay, so you're just thinking um, that black box is pretty specific to all the navigational tools, but just cars in general right. wouldn't have this black box. Because I got to tell you, in my mind, I have often thought that my phone is a black box. And so if I've ever sped or if I've ever texted and drove, and I, I'd never do that, right? Because it's, it's on the record now. Uh, but uh-huh. let's say that I did. It, it's right there on my phone. I mean, my phone records all right. this. And I don't know if you have Life360 on your phone. Life360 is this app and it records absolutely everything you do, everywhere you <laughs> go, how hard you brake. It actually gives my wife a report on whether or not I am braking too fast, too harshly. Now, it's not for my purpose. It's for the, the kids' purposes. But nonetheless, it also very important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if I'm driving crazy, she'll know. Oh, hey, Joel got to, uh, he topped out at 79 miles per hour on his way to the grocery store. That's, that's a lot of information that the cops can get access to, which all brings me to this point. Can cops get access to it? Because I thought in order to get a warrant, you had to have probable cause that a crime mm-hmm. was committed. And I remember hearing statements from this sheriff saying no crime was committed. So it kind of shocked me when they got a right. warrant. Did, did, did that shock you as well? What am, what am I missing? So I think, I mean, if I remember correctly, and, and my mind may not be, but it was like day of investigation where the sheriff came out and says no crime was committed. This was just a single car accident. We don't know what's going on. And I always get a little worrisome when same day stuff comes out on what could be an accident or could be a crime. Okay. Um, you got to give, you know, the investigators at least a day to figure out what's going on. And, and that, and that feeds also into our 24 hour news cycle, right? We have to know what's going on. Tiger tigers in surgery at Cedars. And we need to know what's going on and we need to figure this out. And, Blah, blah, blah. People want to know, was he drunk? Was he not drunk? He has a history of drunk driving. Was he drunk now? Was he impaired? And we can't talk to Tiger because he's in surgery. So the sheriff's like, uh, we're going to assume this is a single car rollover and nothing bad happened. And two days later, a deputy is going to come back and be like, actually, boss. Okay, right, right. There, the, the tire tracks leading up to the accident don't indicate that this was a single car rollover or Tiger was doing this. So I think that – and I think probable cause would be – fairly easy to articulate in a case where there's this i mean if if memory serves right he went like 400 500 yards or maybe it was feet off i mean hit the median and then went an additional almost 500 feet off the road and rolled down a hill that's suspicious circumstances uh traveling at that speed would that have happened why did he miss the median there was there a blown tire? Was there a treadmark? Like you have to do a kind of a full investigation to what's going on so he, before you can make that probable cause argument. Right? Here's what so, the deputy said. The deputy said, we're trying to determine if a crime was committed. If somebody mm-hmm. is involved in a traffic collision, we've got to reconstruct the traffic collision. If there right. was any reckless driving, if somebody was on their cell phone or something like that. And so it seems to me, right. This is a fishing expedition. Not that they say, oh, yeah, crime was committed. We have probable cause to believe that. It seems to me this is just part of an investigation. And so is that where we are now in criminal law, that if they're just investigating the scene, they now can get a warrant for the black box or also your phone, which I got to tell you, everyone has a phone. And you're being tracked somehow. And so I think now every accident, are they not getting this information? They, they could. I'm, well, and you have to understand that, at least in my experience with criminal defense and with, with law enforcement, is that it's not – it should be. The Fourth Amendment's a pretty high bar, but it's not in practice, right? We were looking – well, um, there's, there's been case – I mean that was the argument, and not to bring up a super political case, but that was the argument in the Breonna Taylor case, right? Was the judge signed like nine warrants in 12 minutes. Okay. And so that was one of the reasons they were attacking the warrants in the Breonna Taylor case. Um, Trying to set politics aside is that that criminal judge signed nine warrants in 12 minutes. Right, right. So how much how much scrutiny are the judges, which are the gatekeepers to these warrants, really giving to the warrants? So when you say another fishing expedition, 
where, like you said, where they're just, let's just sign the warrant and see what happens. So when you say um, um, uh, in practice, the Fourth Amendment doesn't really have much teeth, I want to make a, make a distinction there. Because I, what I heard you say is these magistrates are just signing off on these warrants almost willy-nilly. You come to me with a fact pattern, sure, here's your warrant, go find out what you can. I'll agree with that aspect of it. I do think, though, that the courts are more protective of the Fourth Amendment. And, and so the, I think, right. Yes. I, I'm sorry. I totally agree with that. I think that when it comes to review and and the the higher courts deciding on the Fourth Amendment, they do give it a lot of deference. I think at the 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 basic superior court or magistrate level, you get a lot of rubber stamping. I, I can see that. Uh, I definitely can see that. It was, maybe it's happened here because I'm trying to figure out based upon the statements that this deputy, the sheriff, is making. They're saying there's no crime. And so the next thing I hear is a warrant has been issued. I'm thinking, well, wait a second. How could there be no crime? And then you have probable cause that a crime was committed. I mean, Tyra Woods lawyer is going to have a heyday with this if this ever were to come to be. Uh, I also, Tiger Woods, I don't think he's pleading the fifth. I, I know you said that he is choosing to remain silent. But what I heard him say is he just has no memory. Of anything that happened. It's like even from the very beginning, he had no idea what happened to his legs. He totally blacked out. And what I think is it's possible in this kind of rollover accident, he did suffer a concussion and his memory blacked out. Or maybe it's that he does remember and he's just not saying he's choosing to remain silent. I, again, this right. story is not over yet. This is a not even a, a little bit. No, it, it's a developing story. Uh, I here's I probably shouldn't do this, but I that's never stopped me before. I'm gonna make a guess. All right. Mm-hmm. He just had back surgery a, a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're giving him pain medication for that. Was mm-hmm. that pain medication, did it react negatively to even a little bit of alcohol he might have had? So he wouldn't have been impaired, let's just say, uh, like breathing over 0.075 or 0.08, whatever it is in that jurisdiction. But mm-hmm. maybe mixed with the painkillers for his back, maybe that's what caused it. I don't know. It's just, this is odd. And that is the one X factor here. He just had a huge back surgery just a couple of weeks prior. Any final thoughts before we move on to the big issue of the day? Um, just with the the tiger stuff, I'm you know I as we're sitting here, I just did a quick Google search as we're we're talking about this. Yeah, that's where you do your legal research for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just just checking it out. And as of an as of an interview given yesterday, okay, uh, that was updated at about midnight last night the police are still saying they're investigating it like an accident. So I don't, I don't see where a warrant would come in. And again, uh, Tiger's uh, legal counsel, Villanueva is like, there's no, there's no, there's no crime. So why are we getting warrants? What's going on? So Tiger's so lawyer this, is even saying, why did you get this? Right. Yeah. And I think he's quoted, he's uh, to, to have a warrant. You have to have evidence of impairment. That's his big thing. He's like, you have to show that Tiger was impaired. And I, you have to think about it. He rolled that truck. And then he immediately went into surgery. I don't know. I, I don't know what type of surgery, you know, legs, arms, or whatever. But every time I've gone into surgery, they always draw my blood first. Right. There'd be a blood draw they, here. They always do a blood draw. So they would have the evidence if they wanted to test it for impairment. And if they can prove impairment by testing his blood, then we could have a legitimate maybe warrant. I don't know. But – but that would have come out by now. I'm almost certain right. if there was impairment, it would have come out by now as the basis for right. it. That'd be news. You could not have shut that up. Mm-mm. And then that would have given the sheriff full cover, right? He was right. impaired. His blood came back. It came back at, you know, his blood came back at like a two, three. We're done, right? I've seen guys go to, I've seen guys convicted for DUIs on just barely a 0.08. They're going to, they're going to hit that hard if it was anything about that. So there's something so, missing in this story. Why was the warrant issued? And I'm glad that you pulled that up to find out that now Tiger's lawyers are even saying, Hey, look, why did you pull a warrant here? There's no probable cause that a crime was committed. You guys are saying the exact opposite. So why are you going after this? Cause it really was a head scratcher for me. I had no idea why they issued a warrant when they said that there was no crime committed. Right. But now on to the next topic. Dr. Seuss being canceled. I, you know what I thought? My for, man. So I thought, you know what? Let, let's talk race for a bit. Uh, it seems appropriate mm-hmm. for two white guys to do. I don't see how this could get us into trouble. Why not, why not talk a little race? But let me start here by telling you, and I think you don't need to know this. I think you already know right. this about me. If you know anything, I am mm-hmm. a glass half full kind of guy. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, and not just half full, but with the new Coke Zero coffee drink, since we're doing product Ooh. placement references here. Let me go ahead we and drop are. that reference. Have you tried that drink? No, I don't do coffee. Oh, Mormons don't do coffee. So you're right. This is a double whammy it, because you have coffee and you have Coke. So bam, bam, double caffeine. Well, we do do Coke. We do caffeine. That's not that's not doctrine. That's just cultural things for some people, man. I do caffeine like this is the cool thing. The difference between Mormons and the rest of the world is we just take our caffeine with ice and not with coffee. I I got you. Gotcha. Our our caffeine is cold. We're gonna have to sit down and discuss this one in a little, in a little more detail. This sounds to me like the mm-hmm. Amish with their TV sets, but nonetheless, uh, exactly. <laughs> let me, but I, I'm an optimistic kind of guy. That's what I'm trying to say right. here. And so I see this story, the Dr. Seuss cancellation story, as mm-hmm. representing the best, but then also the worst of the human conditions. So let me unpack why I'm saying that and get your yeah. thoughts. Keep in mind, if we say something stupid, which is possible, it very well might get deleted. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> here's why I think it represents the best of the human condition. This is self-censorship. People are crying, oh, this is cancel culture. This is the government censoring. No, this is the Dr. Seuss Foundation. These are the ones responsible for his work. They are censoring themselves. That is not the censorship that we usually think of as being bad. This is someone saying... I don't want to be known for this kind of speech, and so I'm going to stop speaking in this way. But we're going to, we're going to stop the production of our own material. Uh, I, I, do you also think that the public is missing that? This is, this is not an outside force doing this. This is just someone self-censoring their own speech. I totally agree with that. That is that is 100% what I've been discussing with with my friends that are that are very conservative and very angry about this discussion. Um, is this is the free market at work? This right. is this this is what if we if we want to have a society that does not have to be told how to do everything by uh, a big brother. This is what we want for. It's a and, and and if you don't like it, you don't like it, right? You just move on with your life. You you stop crying, right? Because you want individual companies to take corporate responsibility for their own actions and act in a way that benefits their customer base. Right now, their customer base is not what it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And people are getting up in arms because they're no longer the customer base. I think that's what's really driving this is companies are, that have pandered to a specific genre or a specific group of people are no longer the, the, the receivers of this love from companies. So as they cancel themselves um, – which is a whole different podcast. We could talk about how I don't even dig the term cancel culture. Um, as oh, I'm all about that one then. I, I would love to do a podcast yeah. on cancel culture. I, I find right. it fascinating from so many different angles, but yeah. Go it, on. Is, it really is. But as companies exercise their own corporate responsibility, that's what we want them to do. So that way we can say things like, see government, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I do this on my own. Yeah, that th- this is them silencing themselves. That would be like me recording a podcast, which I've done, by the way, and mm-hmm. say, you know what? This is not my best stuff. I- I'm not going to send this right. one out there. It, does- it doesn't show me in the light that I want to be seen in. And maybe it was a great podcast right. for whatever reason. It's just that I, I didn't want it going out, and so I just I- I self-censored it. That doesn't right. seem to be a bad thing in and of itself. And I, like you said, it, that is, is a good thing if it's going to be some kind of corporate consciousness um, uh, being involved. All right. But here's why I think this represents the worst of the human condition. People everywhere, and I say everywhere, go to go to Facebook, go to Twitter, go to whatever social media right. platform you're on. Uh, I went to USA Today, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, LA Times, and my cousin Larry's Facebook page. And um, <laughs> and, and here's what I'm finding out: everyone has an opinion. They're, they're expressing their opinion on this, on how horrible it is on both sides of the equation, either how racist this is or how not racist this is. And no one actually knows what they're talking about. They don't actually know what was said. Have you tried to find out what actually is the controversy, uh, what actually was said or or done that is so offensive? Have you actually read it or seen it? So my wife and I actually own those Dr. Seuss books. You do? So we do. We my wife has an old school collection of Dr. Seuss books from the early sixties and seventies. Let me pause right there uh, to say you are about to become a very wealthy man. But we're going to get that in just a bit, but nonetheless, oh, go yeah. ahead and continue with your, your story. 
Um, and so some of the pictures, if um, you look on uh, Mulberry Street specifically, some of the pictures depict um, the only poor people are black people. Um, and the the Asian Americans or the Asian representation is that, you know, that that look of um, Breakfast at Tiffany's with Mickey um, – Mickey Rourke where it's like the circular glasses and the squinty eyes and they're just portrayed in a very um, negative caricature or, or position. None of the, none of the poor people or none of the homeless people in the Dr. Seuss Mulberry book are um, white people. It's all black or, or, or darker colors. Okay. And so, so in just that specific book, from what I observed, now, you know, my, my non-scientific observations. I have a couple of responses that, to that. The, the, the first response right. I have is I think you're the exception. I think the vast majority of people on Facebook have no idea. And I went looking. 100%. On, I went 100%. looking on. 100%. Yeah, I, I went looking for this. I, I could not find the, uh, the the what was the offensive material. I, I saw, I did find two caricatures. One was of a of a Chinese a person, apparently an Asian person with a cone, uh, and mm-hmm. they had chopsticks. Again, I didn't see the picture, but I just read that description of it. And right. then another description I read was someone who looked like they were from Africa uh, in, in the book about uh, the zoo. But but that's it. I, the, those right. two. A portrayals of a picture is all I could find. Mm-hmm. People have no idea what they're talking about. And you are the, game, the exception because you actually have right. the books. But I'm saying so outside of you, of uh, any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I think that I don't think I, I honestly don't think that people, the vast majority of people could not have named those six books a week ago. Right. Right. They couldn't they couldn't have named any other books between like, oh, the places you'll go. Hop on Pop and Green Eggs and Ham, maybe The Grinch, right? right? right. They're gonna, they know four of the nine, what, ninety six or hundred or hundred and four books that that um, Dr. Seuss knows. Which I also think was strategic on the Dr. Seuss Foundation is they want to get in the news. They see that if they make some changes about how they're really thinking about these ideas of equality and you know going back and kind of fixing some of the bad, the, the quote unquote bad parts of their past that they're going to get major news. And they did. I don't, I, I, if you did a study today to see how much attention and how much money and how much media like comps that they got for putting out this story, which they made the decision a year ago, like that's gotta be in the millions of dollars. And now the prices of all six of those books have gone through the roof, which we're going to get to. Yeah. Now that was go on. Yeah, so now I think both calculated marketing response to play on the emotions of what's going on with people on social media and things like that, and the people on social media eating it alive because now they want something else to fight about. Now that the Trump thing's done, nobody, you know, we're, we're, he's moved on. You know, politics are back to being quote unquote boring, except for the fact that, you know, there's a lot of things we need to think about when it's coming to our government now. Um, now, what's the next thing that we can take five words or a 10 word meme? And fight about what right, can right. I do now? Okay, and and look, race is a hot button issue. Cultural appropriation is a hot button issue right now. So let's hit both of those real quick and duke it out. So I couldn't help but think when I read this article about how the books are flying off of the shelves, um, mm-hmm. both the the internet shelves and also the actual bookstore shelves. I think now maybe nine of the top ten bestsellers right now on Amazon are Dr. Seuss books. I mean, they are, like you point out, raking in the money here with all, on all their books. Uh, not just right. these six books, but all their, their, their best-selling books, like, you know, Grinch That Stole Christmas, Green Eggs and Ham, the only two books I even know how to even say. I, those are the only two titles I know of. But, yeah, was this a marketing move? Do you think that they actually somewhere in some corporate boardroom at the Dr. Seuss Foundation said, you know what? You know how we can boost our sales and, and become relevant again. Let's take away six of these books and as because we're going to be a concerned corporate citizen and free press. Everyone's going to be talking about us. We are going to make a billion dollars. Do you think that that's what's driving this? I don't know if that's what's driving it. My hope is that it's it's pure and unadulterated, just like goodwill. My my hope is that look, we're gonna. I hope it's well. I hope it's a couple of things. One, I don't think those books were big sellers, so they're like, let's depublish books that we're not making money off of. Okay. And two, I would like to think that there's some sort of corporate soul out there that says, you know, maybe this didn't portray people in the best light. Let's 
let's kind of walk this back and figure out how we can retell these stories in a way that's more inclusive. And I have no problem with someone doing the right thing and, right. and making money at the same time. I'm not suggesting right. uh, how the story plays out, but just because you make money right. for doing the right thing does not mean you should not do the, the right thing. The right thing. Now, the one I think there was definitely a discussion. They are smart. They're smart people. These aren't idiots that are just sitting up there with no absolute understanding of the current marketplace or what's going on in the world. They're not they they wouldn't be successful if they were if they were dumb right. at the end of the day. I'm right? going to point this out. A couple things I could be way off base here, but let me just give you my predicate here that I have not seen these pictures. I have not read these books. So uh, I don't, but I feel like I am in the vast majority of most people who are espousing an opinion have not actually seen the subject that of which they are opining about. That being said, I have read some Dr. Seuss books. It looks like the guy was high when he wrote those books, right? I mean, those oh, yeah. pictures, now I have not taken any of these kind of horrible drugs, but uh, apparently you see weird things. These creatures look odd. Uh, all throughout his <laughs> book, they look odd. And, and so uh, what I do understand is that no one is complaining about the words that he said. Apparently he, he didn't say anything racist. No one's even suggesting that. They're just suggesting a couple of the pictures in these books portray mm -hmm. people in not the most flattering light, which my thought was, have you seen his pictures? They look right. like he was on drugs when these, these pictures were drawn. And so I, there's a little bit of disconnect there for me. I am maybe leaning more towards the, this is a marketing move slash corporate conscious move. I don't know where I fall because again, I, I have not actually seen these pictures, so I should not even give you my opinion about this matter. So any final thoughts before we move on to our next council culture item? Uh, at the end of the day, like people just want something to fight about, right? right? Yeah. If, and that's what it is. They want to be – people are looking for ways to be offended. I mean they're looking for ways to to frame their narrative. You're stealing my childhood. You can't cancel me. You can't, can't do this. At the end of the day, it's like if the government isn't coming in and doing it, if the government isn't coming in and saying, you know, you need to get rid of Mulberry Street or you need to get rid of um, – because I've seen the, the draw now to – to kill a mockingbird and to Huck Finn. And they're saying, well, you know, people tried to burn to kill a mockingbird. Why would you want to burn Mulberry street? It's there's a difference when an organized governmental body, whether it be a school board, a city council or a Senate or anything like that is making these censorship decisions versus a private company. Do I disagree with them delisting these books on purely, purely based on the idea that they may be offensive? It, it, it's a business decision. Am I going to, is it going to destroy my life that I'm not going to be able to read Mulberry Street again? No. Is it going to somehow lessen my ability to have freedom of speech or does it threaten our ability to read and have free think? No, because it's a company doing it on their own. At any point, we could all just stop buying from Dr. Seuss. Right. And we the, won't. And the value of your could. books just tripled in value. Through the roof. Minimum. Oh, yeah. yeah Through the roof. So. So you're sitting on a gold mine there. Maybe that's your retirement yeah. fund. I don't know. Well, we have time yeah. for one last uh, issue I want to throw by you. And this is way out on left oh, field. Yeah. And so um, and I'm going to have you back on at some future time to really talk about cancel culture because that, that does fascinate me. But this this next issue, Baker Mayfield. Do you know who Baker Mayfield is? Yes. Okay. I thought we were going to go right into Justice Thomas, but if we're going to do Baker Mayfield, I'm all about it. Well, we'll, we'll come back to Justice Thomas at, at a future podcast. Uh, he... Uh, his a documentary in his life, Amazon just removed from their platform, yeah. which I thought was really interesting in a month of celebrating black, black heritage and history. history yeah. We're going to remove a documentary on Clarence Thomas. Okay. Give, give, right. give me your thoughts on that. Cause I just, that does not sit well with me. Again, it's like, what is the harm there? I don't know. I think it's stupid, right? I, I, oh, he's an I amazing success this, this, story. He is the, one of the best success stories I have ever heard about in America, and we want to keep that secret. Right. I, I don't get it. I will preface this with the fact that I don't think I've ever agreed one time with Clarence Thomas in a Supreme Court decision. But I also didn't agree with Scalia one time either. That doesn't, right. that, that doesn't diminish the, the amazing impact that they've had on America. It doesn't diminish the fact that they have proven um, contraries throughout their entire career. They've broken glass ceilings. They have done things that many people, including myself and 
a host of millions of other have never done. They have, and they, it's not that they're unqualified or they're uneducated or they don't have the ability to do it. We just don't like what they have to say. We don't like the fact that it doesn't fit the current narrative of Clarence Thomas being a African-American man, a black man on the highest court in the land and having conservative values. All right, Chris, that's something that, that people don't want to to play into the narrative. And as much as I, I want to say, Clarence Thomas got to the bench and then closed the door to everyone else who was black American trying to get on the bench. There's an argument to be made there in his cases, but it's not who he is. It's not, it's, we should not be stopping people from understanding how he got there. If we want to talk about Anita Hill, we could talk about Anita Hill all day long. That was a very public thing that went through it. And people are on all sides of it, of the whole Anita Hill issue, including our current president, who, if I remember correctly, was the one who shepherded Clarence Thomas's, yeah, all the way through to his confirmation. So right. we can have that discuss. Like it's it's very historical in its context, and there's a difference between. And people are comparing it. You know, we're trying to be better. We're trying to we're trying to do these things. There's there's a lot. There's a line to be drawn when it comes to something like a documentary versus something like a. Um, I don't know what's something that we cancel that could. I don't know. There there was no point to it. There right. was no reason. Um, and even more so that was, you know, Amazon did it with no little to no fanfare. They just delisted it. Right. So if they were trying to make a point, I think their point was, we're trying to pander to this specific audience. So we're just going to take this off and and not go there. Now, Chris, I'm going to say something here, which very well might end up on the cutting room floor. Cause I, <laughs> I, I, I always just, I, I want to make sure I say this the right way, but what I heard you just say it's consistent with what I am struggling with. And that is, I don't see how this decision by Amazon is not blatantly racist. Now, maybe I don't understand what it means to be for something to be racist, but I believe in my heart of hearts that if this, if, if this documentary had been about a white person, if Clarence Thomas had been white, they would right. not uphold it from the shelf. It was only because right. if it would have been about justice Rehnquist, or if it would have been about, Oliver right. Wendell Holmes yes. or Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. It would not have pulled it from the shelf. But uh, the, the, the Rehnquist right. one is a great example. Or Scalia. They would have said, yep, we're going <laughs> to leave that on there. We don't. We disagree with it. Whatever. But because these ideals in this story is about someone who's also African-American, it's because of his race they took it off their shelves because they don't want that message going out from someone of that race. And so how is that not racist? It's well, racism is race plus power, right? You can you have the power to oppress because of someone else's race. So Amazon, I, I think it is. I think it's a totally racist move because it doesn't agree with their narrative of how we should view race. I, I just wonder if that's not gonna be picked up by by some people in the mainstream. It's kinda right. like the whole Governor Cuomo no, thing won't. where for a while everyone's just choosing to ignore it until he doesn't <laughs> serve their purpose, then they all pile on him. But we all knew what he was doing for the last two years. It wasn't until Trump got out of the news that they actually could focus on it. Uh, you just wonder if at some point in time if this will not be exposed as being a blatantly racist decision. I mean to me that is that is racism far beyond. Well, I won't even say that because I, I don't know how to even compare things. That's just a really bad decision for a bad reason. In my heart of hearts, right. I believe if Clarence Thomas had been white, this decision would not have been made. And I guess that's that's the bottom line for me in my right. in my th- thought process. This was a, a racist decision, and I do can we, get, go on. Do we have has Clarence Thomas or his estate weighed in on this? Do we? Because I and I and I agree that on its face, right on the face of this, it is a very very weird and racist decision. Is it something where we don't have all the information in the picture, right? Is it something where Clarence Thomas says, Hey, can you pull this? Cause I don't want it out no, there. No, I, I heard about this from an email from Clarence Thomas's wife that she sent to John okay. Stenberger saying, Hey, okay. I want to let you know what's going on here. Uh, and so that okay, got, so that makes a, sense. Right. So they, that makes it see again, we investigate all, all aspects of it and then come to the conclusion when it's a cool, like rather than having a knee-jerk reaction, right? I hate that more than anything else. You hear something on the news and it automatically incites some sort of emotional response, and now we have to, you know, storm the Capitol or block traffic. Yeah, this is not how we should be working as a as a functioning civil society. 
I, I don't get that. And maybe it'll come to light. Maybe it won't at some point in time in the future. Yeah. But um, all right. That is a great way to not talk about a subject. Well, you know, spend a lot of time on it, get, <laughs> get all heated about it. But Baker Mayfield, uh, he's a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, and you might have some mm-hmm. thoughts, pro or con to, to Baker. Uh, but nonetheless, the issue is, should Baker Mayfield's contract be extended? He's right there in that period of time where most – you know, uh, NFL franchises are extending quarterbacks contracts, right? They're in their rookie contract. We want to lock them in long term. We want this person to be the face of our franchise. So we'll give them uh, a bajillion dollars. Kansas City Chiefs just did that with Patrick Mahomes, you know, God's third son. And uh, we signed him for a half a billion dollars. That is not an exaggeration. It's not hyperbole. That's actually the amount of money that Kansas City gave Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so the issue is a Baker Mayfield, should he be extended? And this is what I want to draw your attention to. He, may, he recently made this statement that him and his buddies saw a UFO in Texas. Right. What's your thought on that? Does that disqualify him from being the face of the franchise? Is that goofy? Is that just all right? Do you have any thoughts about that? You know, I, I think it's fun, right? Because it wasn't too long ago. Maybe it was. Maybe it was three or four years ago now that I think about it. When Elon Musk launched his SpaceX, right, and we saw it all the way here in Arizona, and it looked like something straight out of Star Trek, right, with the the engines blowing all this stuff. So everybody was like, "Oh, what's that up in the sky?" We had to figure out it was, you know, it was it was Elon Musk's doing Elon Musk things. Okay. Um, do I think it a UFO sighting? Do I think that disqualifies the man? Not even in the slightest. Not even he could still be. It's the Cleveland Browns, man. Right. Like. It's it's and it's Baker Mayfield has already kind of got that, at least in my opinion, he has that fun, goofy, frat boy right. um kind of feel to him. And him saying I saw a UFO, him and his wife going, Hey, we saw a UFO, for all they know, they could they like, who knows? Maybe they did. Maybe they saw a plane, maybe they saw a weather balloon. Who knows what they saw? Well, but I don't think that disqualifies it's not like disqualify him as the the face of a franchise has to be something that's deeper seated in society. Right, right. Baker Mayfield, if you saw the UFO while beating your wife, okay, then we need to take you off the franchise. Or we caught you at the back of scores strip club with 19 or with, you know, 16 year old girls. Yes. Now we're kicking you out of the franchise. Right. But to say you saw a UFO and you're not going to get your what couple million dollar extension. I think that's idiotic. I don't think All right. I, I, I don't. I, and I love Baker Mayfield for it, man. You, well, I well, want to destigmatize UFOs. So first of all, let's just ahead. unpack what he just said. Unidentified flying object. If you cannot right. identify that object in the sky flying around that right. by it's definition is a UFO. It, it could be a falling right. star. It, it could be an airplane, and you just don't know it because it's so far away, and it's just a light, right. and it looks kind of weird. Uh, maybe you're getting old, and it's just you see stars in your eyes, and it's absolutely nothing. Who knows? Right. It's unidentified, and that's a, I, I think, qualifies. But here's another thought, which really is going to... I know I'm going to lose ha- all my listeners with this thought. Why could it not be a UFO? Right? I mean, have you ever thought about that? And I know this is really going crazy, but... How arrogant do we have to be to assume we are the only life in the entire I don't know, get, universe is not the right word. Ga- well, yeah. What is the word for everything? Is that I, galaxy? I'm, I don't know. I think, I, yeah, galaxy would be it or universe. But, I mean, but in existence, in yeah. existence. Creation? Right. In, in all creation. Is it not arrogant for us to say we're it? There is no life anywhere else Anywhere out there, uh, we are the only life in the entire entirety of creation. Is that not a little bit arrogant? It is a hundred percent arrogant. All it right. is uh, it is ridiculously arrogant. So it, it is possible. Now, do I believe it that that that, that that whatever he saw was actually a UFO? As far as someone from outer space, probably not. Right? I mean, more, more often right. than not. I, that the vast majority of those are just crazy conspiracy theories, but I do think I'm not going to discard it from ever happening because I think that's kind of an arrogant position to take. Uh, though the reality is they're mostly uh, viewed by kooks. And do you really want a kook <laughs> being the fa- face of your franchise? Well, when it's the Cleveland Browns, I think your conclusion is it, it can't hurt their their look. That is their franchise, and so that just fits in really well. Any any. Well, and- 
Go on. And it's, again, it's, you got to look at, I, I think you got to look at the totality, right? UFO. And I mean, I read his tweets, right? He said it was a ball of light that was coming down into like, like Travis or something like that. Um, why does it matter? Like, why, why would it, you're, you're the Cleveland Browns, right? right? You just had a very successful season going to the playoffs. Baker Mayfield was a key integral part of that, that success. Seeing a UFO is not your biggest problem. Your biggest <laughs> right. problem is that your franchise hasn't won a Super Bowl ever. Ever. Your biggest problem is that for the first time in at least the Chris Marone lifetime of watching football, you're a relevant topic. How do you stay relevant? You're you're rebuilding a franchise. And if again, if Baker Mayfield saw a UFO, man, who cares? All right. You know, you football teams have bigger problems. They well, have bigger problems to deal with. I have given you the last word there, and so uh, I cannot say it better myself. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, Again, if you do want to do that name change to Christopher Mahomes, I would be in full support of it. Uh, Think about it. Go out there, enjoy your 150-degree weather out there in Arizona, and (laughs) thank you for coming on. Thank you, Joel. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.